Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, we are back for a second part of a two-part series about the intersection between sports and theme parks. And I gotta say, I am a little surprised that we have this much to say about sports. I didn't know we were sports people. I also didn't realize that we were sports people. Um, if you had asked me before we did this, uh, these episodes, I would have said that I didn't care one bit about sports. I'm more of a theater kid, personally. <laughs> yeah. um, I would have called myself the opposite of a jock. But it turns out, through all of this discussion and uh, the amazing conversations we've had since we dropped our last episode, um, I really like sports. Yeah, I like sports a lot. Like, I like competition, and I like people who are good at things doing complicated things. Um, And sports really bring that out, and I also like stories that play out in real time that feel like they're important, and I like big personalities. And, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit, like... I'm a huge movie nerd, right? Like, I love <laughs> movies. And and I thought that what I really liked was, like, narrative and uh, the, like, purposeful creation of images and narratives together. And that's, you know, a lot of what brings those happy places to life. And it's definitely a big part of theme parks. But sports have that immediacy, right? That, like living feeling to them where you're not quite sure what will happen and the stories that come out of sports though they might not always seem interesting in the moment uh they really can become interesting stories uh and you know here we are in july of 2020 and there aren't a lot of sports (laughs) being played right now in the united states um, you know, for good reason. And I, not having sports around has made me miss sports a I, little. I definitely miss sports. And and something to to say related to uh, something you said there. Um, I I like sports uh, for the competition and and for some of the yeah some of the narratives that comes that come out around teams or individuals a lot of you know cinderella stories and things like that of of people you know rising to the top from nothing you know those are all like compelling interesting stories and narratives for for anyone um and but they come out so starkly in sports and so immediate as you said that sometimes it can feel while you're while you're paying attention to a sports game um it, where it can feel like you're watching history being made. You can say, I was there when I saw this accomplishment by this person. I was there when this team came from behind and took the victory. You know, you get to, to create these narratives and, these, um, and this interaction in your mind that you can like keep and remember forever, even though, that the, even though the event was happening in the immediate moment. And that is something that I really appreciate about a sport. I love that. I love a story about like a like an exceptional person uh, being just top of their field. That that those narratives make me feel good when I hear them. And sports gets to you know gets to bring that. And we don't have any right now. <laughs> like <laughs> sports have been canceled for the time being. Um, but we're probably going to be seeing 
sports history being made any any day now, right? We're yeah. going to be seeing something really massive in sports. Um, what with everything <laughs> everything canceled or postponed, we're about to watch uh, a, a historic end to the NBA basketball season, right? Yeah, uh, the Walt Disney World Resort and three entire hotels and uh, several auditoriums and dance halls and ballrooms um, are all being converted to play host to this end of the season sort of playoff thing. I'm not really sure how yeah, it's going to work. It's kind of the playoffs. It's the it's 22 NBA teams. Um, are going to be playing eight games each and as kind of like a like a final playoff season. I assume then they're going to narrow it down and then two teams will play for a championship um, like 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 bracket style. Sure. Um, but I mean it's all still kind of up in the air right now uh, and but it's it centers around um, a, around Disney World. It's all going to happen at Disney World. The Grand Floridian, the Grand Destino, and the Yacht Club are all being are playing host to several teams each, and they're gonna play a bunch of games, and that's gonna be the playoff season. Um, what I learned is that if they didn't play the <laughs> playoff season, um, that they were going to lose something, some like several million dollars, um, and so it's just it's more economical for them to say yes sure we're gonna finish the season but we're gonna do it safely where we lock everybody away and have them just play each other and we're not gonna expose them to the pandemic i guess is the is the thought that is the hope and and, you know to everybody who is still out there working and to anybody who is involved in themed entertainment or sporting events uh, you know, please stay safe. Uh, safety is such a big concern right now. And Absolutely. I, I really do hope that this goes as well as we hope it will um, and, and that everybody stays as safe as possible. But Alice, the question is, why Disney World? <laughs> and the answer is actually really obvious when you think about it. I mean, the answer to why Disney World, the first obvious answer I can think of is uh, space. They own uh, an area in Florida that's twice as large as the island of Manhattan, so they can just use that space. That's, That's the most obvious answer to me, but I guess the other most obvious answer is that Disney, the company, and Disney World, the space, have been dedicated to sports and, and like American sporting events for a really long time. Right, and not the least of which is their ownership of maybe the largest sports news and entertainment outlet in the world. That's true. Uh, ESPN. Yeah, Disney owns ESPN. <laughs> Uh, and and ABC, a major network that carries many sporting events. I mean, Disney has a vested interest in sports continuing to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not, it, it seems like it's not obvious that Disney World would be an ideal location, but the amount of control that can be, you know, exerted by the company over the property, coupled with their 
deep, deep investment in the world of sports definitely makes it a, an obvious choice. Like here we are, and you know it's great advertising for the Walt Disney World Resort. You gotta, you gotta admit you that. You gotta, you have to admit it. I mean, if anybody knows how to do marketing, it's Disney, right? Yeah. Uh, and and product integration with all of their things. Yeah, we can combine our sports loving fans and our theme park loving fans into one big happy family um and do all the sports from disney world right yeah. like that's i mean gosh it's it writes itself <laughs> it's almost too perfect uh <laughs> and you know alice i'm thinking about it and i'm starting to wonder to myself how does a movie production company a movie studio you know walt disney pictures uh grow to become so involved in sports and sporting events they couldn't have just one day decided they were going to have a major controlling stake in all sports there must have been some kind of transition period perhaps in the early 90s where they decided that they were going to have ownership over two franchises mm -hmm. maybe in the city of anaheim are oh. you picking up what i'm putting down i think i'm picking up what you're putting down i think maybe there was a single moment that led to all of this and that moment was the day they decided to produce the movie the mighty ducks <laughs> the day that they decided that to green light the film the mighty ducks was the day that disney changed from a film and theme park company to just the world's biggest media network just like uh, incomprehensibly big media network and i think it really does start in 1992 with the release of d1 the mighty ducks <laughs> d1 uh, the mighty ducks <laughs> i know i know um, so the mighty ducks also know as d1 the night they release it as d1 the mighty ducks after d2 and d3 were released right right it's a it's kind of a rambo rambo first blood yeah. sort of situation <laughs> yeah. yeah i understand so the mighty uh, ducks uh in a 1992 american sports comedy drama about a youth hockey team um uh helmed of course by the mighty actor emilio estevez the mighty duck man swear to god <laughs> uh and and the thing is alice you might not know this about me our listeners might not know this but i'm actually the world's foremost scholar on 1992's the mighty ducks it's true it's uh, starring true, emilio estevez he really is we've been talking about this he has he has been the world's foremost scholar since we were children <laughs> <laughs> actually the first words i spoke were quack 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 uh in in response to somebody of, of authority who was trying to keep me down i quacked at them um as a way to assert wow. my dominance oh that uh, tracks yeah yeah i was i was about one and a half years old <laughs> um so anyways alice uh you know, the mighty ducks is a kind of bog standard you know family sports film uh, in which a ragtag ragtag group of misfits is led by somebody who knows what they're doing but is out of their element to overcome the odds and win a sports game. It's, uh, it's, it's a good movie. I like it a lot. It's got a lot of heart. It's a great uh, movie. Definitely... Disney's really good at this genre. Oh, yeah. Like, really uh, and, and especially in the 90s, they made about a dozen of these. <laughs> uh, the Mighty Ducks is my favorite because I like hockey 
and I like ducks. Uh, (laughs) And I like Emilio Estevez. I'm going to say Mighty Ducks is one of my favorites, but I got to give it to Remember the Titans. Oh, I thought you were going to say Big Green because you like soccer so much. I do like the Big Green. No, I got (laughs) to Remember the Titans. It's Denzel all the way. (laughs) Yeah, and and something you'll know about all of these films and a kind of well-documented, you know, film history thing is that the teams in these sports movies are often what is referred to as coalitions of the downtrodden. Uh, Meaning that instead of being uh, rich and white and well-connected, the teams that tend to be the heroes of sports movies are made up of a diverse or minority, mostly minority group of characters who uh, don't have a lot of economic opportunities, who despite all odds go on to compete and either very nearly win or win against all odds. Uh, And I love these kinds of stories because of the way that they kind of assemble these groups of people uh, you know, from all sorts of backgrounds who need to come together and overcome these odds. And it's funny, there's there's an old, old movie uh, called Steamboat Round the Bend uh, starring Will Rogers that might be the first one of these ever uh, about a team that needs to uh, captain a steamboat faster than a uh, couple of rich white capitalists um, and they they overcome it and they win and it's awesome wow uh, and we've been making that same movie since then and <laughs> the mighty ducks is just another example of that albeit more packaged for uh, family audiences and it's really simple um, but it's also a really compelling story because we don't like to see people who we expect to win, win. We want to see people overcome the odds and do great things, Gosh, often America's, through teamwork. Yeah, America's been obsessed with that narrative since 1776, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, The Mighty Ducks is a good movie for that, but it's interesting, Alice. You know, The Mighty Ducks is a film, released in 1992 Mm -hmm. it is also the name of a multimedia franchise it is uh, comprised of and i am paraphrasing paraphrasing from wikipedia the free encyclopedia that anybody can edit um (laughs) comprised of a trilogy of three live action films Uh an animated series Uh uh, about anthropomorphic ducks uh, from space who fight crime and dragons. Uh, Sign me up. Uh, It's awesome. Uh Uh, And uh, an upcoming Disney Plus uh, sequel to the three films. Yeah. Um, Oh, and also, uh, just kind of as a side note here, a... uh, real-life NHL franchise uh, called The Mighty Ducks that started in 1993. Oh, yeah. Oh, that old thing? The actual (laughs) hockey team that really exists? Yes. Right, yeah. An actual hockey team that you can still go and see play at the Honda Center in Anaheim, formerly known as the Arrowhead Pond of Anaheim. Uh Uh, And Alice, a team, a hockey team that I have been a fan of since day that they were created yes yeah uh from from day one yes i'm a huge fan of the the anaheim ducks i know (laughs) 
Um, yeah, and they're uh, a real, uh, they're a real team that, um, that Disney just invented kind of out of thin air for the NHL. They weren't a, um, a, like an old franchise that was just renamed into the Mighty Ducks. They became a brand new hockey team in the year 1993, owned by the Walt Disney Company. The Mighty Ducks and their logo, everything on it, it was was taken from the film. The film came first, and then the sports team came out. I think growing up, I always assumed the sports team came first, and then they made a film based on the sports team. But that's that's just not true. That is not true. <laughs> this is this is a from the ground up Disney product. Mm-hmm. The Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, Rock the Pond, are a team that will forever be known as the Disney team. Now, yeah. Disney no longer owns the Mighty Ducks. No. And they're not even called the Mighty Ducks anymore. They're nope. just called the Anaheim the Ducks. Anaheim Ducks. And yet, signs of Disney's influence, uh, signs of their uh, investment in the team are everywhere. I mean, why is the team called the Ducks if not to kind of capitalize off the fact that Disney has several famous duck characters <laughs> and are really good at designing duck-based things. Um, and of course, we mentioned in the last episode, the duck mascot, Wild Wing, is a anthropomorphic duck with a goalie mask for a beak um, who looks a lot like his forebears, Donald or Scrooge, um, you know, he, he could he could very easily live within the kind of Duckburg universe in his original designs. Um, and it's just wild to me that, you know, growing up near Anaheim and traveling to Disneyland and then also to what was then the pond, uh, and then once in a while to Angel Stadium... Mm -hmm. uh, to see yet another Disney-owned sports franchise. That's true. Uh, my my entire entertainment life for much of my childhood was owned by the Walt Disney Company. And I don't even live in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's it's wild. And the reason why I said that, that, that the day that the Mighty Ducks was optioned is the day that Disney just started to become the biggest media empire ever. I, I meant it, like, when I said that. Um, because uh, Disney makes Mighty Ducks in, in 1992. They invent the hockey team in 1993. Uh, another, uh, D2, the sequel, comes out in 1994. Um, and Disney buys ESPN in 1996. That, like, right after. Disney bought ESPN um, for $19 billion in the year 1996. Wow. Um, and it's probably the best $19 billion they've ever spent. Because it took them from being just Disney and, like, like a... Disney was, was famous for so long for the kids' entertainment programming and all of the films that they made and, and, and dabbling occasionally in things that are not for children, but never really expanding their scope past past that. They had Disneyland, it was for kids. They had Disney World, it's also for kids. 
little bit of Epcot fun in there for adults. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, in 1996, they went, well, we're having so much fun having owned this brand new hockey team for three years. <laughs> what if we just owned sports? <laughs> all sports. And then they did. They just decided that was a thing that they could do. And, and ESPN is the place to watch sports. I mean, yeah, yeah. you can find sports other sports on on smaller channels but you've got espn espn 2 espn college espn the ocho (laughs) (laughs) you've got so many options now um but they're all espn and they're all owned by disney so do you actually have options for watching sports you don't um (laughs) but that's the reason why why i said that the mighty ducks was the catalyst for disney becoming the biggest company uh in media and yeah. a bit, and another huge part of that um, was uh, in the years between the Mighty Ducks becoming a thing and Disney buying ESPN. Um, so they they invent a sports team in 1993. In 1994, Disney releases the film Angels in the Outfield, and immediately afterwards, offers to buy the California Angels. The the baseball team the California the, Angels. the baseball team with a long history uh that had been like a staple in California for quite some time yeah since the 60s when um they were they came about in the 60s in one of the first times that the MLB decided to uh to start expanding and getting more teams um and then Gene Autry the cowboy Gene Autry um <laughs> who who was the first owner of the California Angels, um, sold it directly to Disney. He owned it that whole time. He sold it to Disney in May 1995, and then Disney bought ESPN in 1996. That's wild. Um, this all happened, I mean, within a, a, like a five-year span to go from no, <laughs> no sports teams to two huge sports teams and also the sports network. Yeah. That just happened. Like, the 90s were a time of unprecedented growth for the Walt Disney Company. Uh, Under the leadership of Michael Eisner, they were really diversifying and trying to branch out to new markets. And you can actually see a lot of that in the theme parks themselves. Um, there's, There's a lot of evidence of the Eisner era. Uh, rocket rods, for example, was a product of that time. <laughs> oh, my so favorite. kind of an edgier, faster, cooler look um, that also maybe wasn't such a great idea long term. Uh, and that is what is true about these two sports franchises. Um, Disney became entangled with these sports. Um, and yet, you know, you can't just buy teams and then expect that to be like good or or embraced by the community like sports teams don't just spring up and immediately become beloved parts of a city's identity you have to have exactly the right market and exactly the right pieces in place for that to happen I'm going to say it did happen for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Another hockey franchise. Another hockey franchise. Wow. <laughs> More hockey. Yeah. Uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights sprang into being a couple years ago and are absolutely 
beloved. But like yeah. Vegas was was hurting for a sports team there. Like they needed somebody to root for. There's so many people live in that area and wanted like a local team to cheer for. And it didn't hurt that in their very first year as a franchise they went straight to the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah. Like and right I mean, away. They didn't win, thank goodness, because <laughs> then hockey would really be a joke. <laughs> um, but but they did get all the way to the finals, which, you know, early success paves the way to quick fandom. Yeah. Um, and the Ducks, especially, were not good <laughs> for a really long time. No. Uh, they would win their first Stanley Cup trophy uh, 13 years after they started. And that's a long time to wait for success in the year 2006 2007 they finally found a formula that worked that got them all the way to the championship but Mm -hmm. geez is that ever a really long time to wait and years leading up to that were a struggle um and what what made the ducks so interesting was that they are perhaps the only sports franchise in the history of the world to be born out of a major motion picture um, (laughs) starring Emilio Estevez, thank goodness. (laughs) Um, And also, later in their careers, to have an animated series uh, fictionalizing the existence of their team (laughs) uh, with a line of action figures and, yes, a uh, duck van that you could purchase for the action figures to sit in. Uh, It was pretty cool. Um, you know, like, I don't think there's another team like that anywhere, uh, to have these things going for them. And unfortunately, in the world of sports, it also made them feel kind of like phonies. Um, like they weren't a real franchise. And, you know, one has to imagine that it's difficult to just invent a history, right? Like... The story of the Mighty Ducks, 1992, the film, is not the story of a professional sports team in 1993. You can't just make that stuff up and expect it to stick as part of the team's identity. And yet, you also can't, like, purchase a history. And it's, it's easy to imagine that longtime fans of the California Angels... Uh, when they were purchased by Disney would have felt kind of like that history was kind of wiped away with an emphasis on angels in the outfield being (laughs) the new identity of the team. Uh, And I I, I definitely still get that vibe off of the angels. They don't feel like an old baseball team, even though they really are kind of getting up there in years. Yeah. Well, so they they came around in... 1961, right? I said that. And the California Angels. Um, they didn't win. This is fascinating to me. They didn't win a World Series until 2002. Wow. Talk about a long time to go without any kind of... I mean, they had they had division titles and they had um, um, well, a lot of division titles. But the first time they even like won the American League was in 2002 was the year that they won the World Series. Um, it, it's really interesting to, to look at, at this team. So both teams, the Ducks and, and the Angels, were, were purchased by Disney. Disney 
owned them, lost a lot of money to them, tried to get them off the ground, tried to make them winners, um, and neither of them succeeded. Both teams won their big, <laughs> their big titles within two years of being sold by Disney. Wow. <laughs> Uh, wow. If yeah, if my if my numbers are correct here, that is what I'm learning here is that they get sold and immediately go on to have like some of the best seasons of their entire existence. Um, and I wonder if I, I I it's making me wonder about Disney in the '90s and how the um the kind of like false success or like like the facade of success that they were projecting through the 90s that um that just ended up not being being like real tangible success except for maybe the purchase of ESPN um from through the late 90s and into the early 2000s Disney was was doing not a great job right like they had some big movie hits in the early 90s they bought ESPN and then both of their sports teams that they owned started crashing. They lost millions of dollars uh, in the end of the 90s when it was time for them to sell, um, when they put the teams up for sale in uh, 1999. Um, the Angels had lost Anaheim about $16 million. Um, Ducks started losing money by its third season. It's, wow. It's all things that, that, like you were saying, you can't, you can't buy the history and you can't buy a big successful team right away without the conditions being exactly right. And I think Disney tried for a long time to pretend like the conditions were exactly right for that, especially with buying ESPN. They were like, all right, we're all in on sports now. Yeah. And then it just didn't happen for them. Yeah. And that, that's a bummer. That's like a huge bummer. But I guess it lends, like, like with the Angels taking taking the pennant, you know, the very next year, you know, in, in 2002, they got, when did they get sold? Sold in 2000, I think. They, they get to have that success. You know, finally, after however many years, they get to, they get to take home the, a World Series. Like, and that, that's a narrative and that's a story that resonates with people. Yeah. But it took a really long time to get there. Yeah, and unfortunately for Disney, part of the story is now that they're not owned by Disney, they can be real teams. <laughs> yeah. And and that hurts. That's got to hurt for anybody who was involved in, uh, you know, buying and running those teams over on the Disney corporate side. But on the other hand, when you hear the Disney corporate side running a sports team, I mean, on a on a... On an intellectual level, Alice, we have to realize that sports is entertainment, mm -hmm. and entertainment is business, mm -hmm. and the only reason professional sports exist is to make money. And right. even the major league sports teams that are, you know, entrenched in their communities, and even in some cases uh, run by their communities in some way, are out to make money. Uh... When you, when you consider that, the whole, like, oh, well, Disney owns them, so they're barely a real team, narrative doesn't really work. And yet, for some reason, that Disney identity, that Disney name being wrapped into these teams from 
you know, from the moment they're purchased or created, uh, and then also wrapping them up in this these film franchises, uh, I think really kind of took away from the authenticity. Yeah. Uh, and took away from that that feeling of connection. Yeah. It felt like the like also like the manufactured success, like I was saying before, that um that people can smell a mile away. This like the fake feeling of uh, like I don't know, forced fanhood or I don't know, I don't know what exactly I'm trying to say here, but when it feels inauthentic and people can tell that it's inauthentic, no amount of pretending like we're successful can can change people's minds. And yes. sure, of course, those like teams obviously still have it. You were a huge fan forever. Yes. Um, and and obviously, like the Angels have a massive fan base too. Um, and, and they, you know, still make they make money and are successful. Um, but they're doing they do better when they're not attached to the Disney name and it's and, and th- that is unfortunate but it is it's really obvious why or it it's it seems obvious why to to look at right like if you're attached to Disney which is a a big major corporation mostly made at that point for children's entertainment but you're going to compete on the on the world stage with you know these other teams that have been around way longer people aren't are gonna see what's inauthentic about them even being on the stage to begin with you wouldn't exist you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this giant company and all all sports teams are owned by very rich people and very giant companies but none so obviously as the ducks or the angels were so visibly owned by another company that it right. made it felt made it feel inauthentic. One has to wonder if a more hands-off approach to creating these teams, one that doesn't include an animated series <laughs> or a film series uh, to introduce them, mm-hmm. uh, one that isn't wrapped up as a multimedia enterprise. Uh, I wonder if these teams do well right away because they are just new franchise teams or revamped franchise teams. Um, And that influence is less obvious. And so as a result, they are able to feel more natural. Uh, And that question actually, Alice, brings me to another point. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, uh, I I actually received a call uh, before this podcast episode started recording and I wanted to ask you about a couple of things. Uh, okay. Would yeah. you mind stepping into my office? Oh, gosh, no, not at all. Here, let me, um, let me, uh, here, let me get the door for you. Yeah. All right, uh, please come in, sit down. Uh, now, as you can see, my office is, as it always has been, uh, decorated as a shrine uh, to the greatest sports team to ever skate on the beach. Uh, this is a shrine to the Long Beach Ice Dogs. Oh, yay! I love the Long Beach Ice Dogs. Yeah, and, you know, a, a long-defunct uh, franchise that you and I are both huge fans of. And, uh, Alice, I, I got a call from the mayor of Long Beach. <gasps> mayor Robert Garcia? 
Yeah, who welcomes us to the historic Long Beach Airport every time we land there. (laughs) Um, And he said, Mayor Robert Garcia, uh, that he would love if we would pitch him a return of the Long Beach Ice Dogs. Oh my gosh. The Uh, honor of a lifetime. Right. And and it's such a huge opportunity, but I, I have a problem. Okay, what's the problem? You know, uh, you and I are both famous podcasters <laughs> with infinite money. Yes, of course. Um, and we also have, you know, just this reputation of being, you know, just the blandest corporate shills in the world. <laughs> uh, and so my problem is, Alice, I want to resurrect the Ice Dogs. And I want to bring them back in a, in a huge way. I'm thinking NHL first season like let's just break into the oh major all games. right we're going right for it my problem is how am i going to do this right you know i've got all this money all this talent you know i'm great at graphic design uh you know i, I was thinking maybe we would do an animated series i, I just think it would be <laughs> cool if there was a show about ice dogs Ooh, um, yeah. from outer space Ooh, who, yeah totally fight, fight crime with hockey absolutely skills Rice itself. yeah um, um, yeah, an animated series would be good. We could lead, of course, with a uh, with a live action uh, film. If you can get somebody from the Brat Pack to start it, maybe brought Molly Ringwald is free. Oh yeah, Molly Ringwald has to coach a youth hockey team. <laughs> you know what? That actually sounds. Good. Oh, I would watch it. I would totally watch it. <laughs> She's a former figure skater who knows nothing of hockey, uh, and she. Uh, has to coach this team while also learning about herself Aww. and how to play hockey yeah. uh, at the same time, which is which is tough for her because she doesn't know anything about it. Sure, um, yeah. No, I'd, I'd watch it. I'd watch it in a second. Let me go write that script right now <laughs> and call Molly Ringwald because I can because I'm a very successful business person with lots right. of money. Yeah, as, as internationally <laughs> famous and infamous podcasters, we are able to do these things. Yes, My problem is, uh, Alice, this feels fake. It does. Nobody's going to like these ice dogs. It does. And Uh, how do I do this right? You know, that's a really big question. I think we could take from the Disney playbook, um, take the page of the Disney playbook that says make a a film and a TV show about your sports team and just rip it up and burn it. Don't take that page away. Just get rid of it. Really? Yeah. But then how will people know that our team is like part of something bigger and that we have like this you know this shared ethos of like bringing people together sure sure the answer to that would be i believe uh direct community engagement you can't that's the kind of thing that just can't be manufactured you can't just say hey long beach care about this you know you have to say hey long beach think about your history think about your past think about the things you care about we care about those things too Sounds a lot like running for political office, actually, now that I say it out loud. But that's but that's the kind of thing that gets people engaged. You don't engage an audience without engaging with something that is meaningful to them. And meaningful does not mean a TV show and a movie franchise starring Anthony Michael Hall or somebody. You've got to. <laughs> you know what? I would watch. I know that I'd watch too. that too. Of course I would. But <laughs> if you want to start a, a a sports team, you want to establish a sports team into a community. You have to start with the community. You can't invent it out of nowhere. You can't just decide for people. You have to let them come to you. If you build it, they will come or something like that. 
Um, let's that, feel the that, dreams. Another yeah, another sports dreams, lesson. It's another sports movie. <laughs> <laughs> but the the fact still stands that if you if you want to build a community around something, you've got to give them something to rally around. So you've got to get people. You know, you can get local celebrities or you know people who are in the community that people care about, or you can grab. Um, images and um, and moments and pieces of history that mean something to the city and to the community and remind people why they love the place that they live. Why why are you here? Why do you love this? Does your is your family from here? Is your did you adopt this place, you know, at, when you got older and chose to make it your home? You know, you've got to inspire those feelings. The, the things that make people proud of who they are and where they're from and 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 channel that into a sports team and it's and it's easy people love to root for sports teams they love a hometown team we've gone out of our way to go to minor league hockey and college baseball and all sorts of fun stuff in that are our town because we want to support the community and the people here right that's the thing that we do you and I specifically, but also just like everyone. <laughs> no, you're you're completely right. It's it's about local identity. It's about authenticity. It's about wanting to be a part of that and not having ambitions to be the nation's hockey team <laughs> or the world's hockey team or television's hockey team. Right. Uh, the the goal of our new Long Beach Ice Dogs should be to be Long Beach's hockey team. Yes. And and what that means is going to look really unique to Long Beach. And, and you know, part thinking about the historic Ice Dogs, part of what we loved about them was that it was really uniquely Long Beach. There was a special section that you could be upgraded to randomly. If you won, if you won a raffle drawing at the beginning of the of the game, they would upgrade you into what was called hockey on the beach. Yeah, and that was a, essentially a sandbox. <laughs> <laughs> it had a couple uh, of lounge chairs, a little umbrella. It was like like decorated to look like you had a spot on the beach, and it was right there on the ice in the corner. It was a really good spot. Yeah, I always and, wanted and to sit there. That sort of thing makes a team feel like a home team. Exactly. And I think I think about some of my other sports fandoms. Uh, for example, the Chicago Bears. Yeah. Who haven't been good since the 1980s. <laughs> and I think about how much I enjoy watching them play regardless, knowing that they're going to screw it up somehow every time they get a little bit ahead. It's because it reminds me of Chicago and some of the time I spent there when I was young. And it reminds me of a connection to my family, who is a big Chicago Bears family. <laughs> and that's what makes a sports team real. It's, it's not about how many action figures you can sell, which, by the way, was a lot. <laughs> just so many <laughs> I have so many of those action figures from the Mighty Ducks TV show it's not about that it's about what you can bring to your city right. or your area maybe and... it's not about 
the action figures you can sell, but it's about the adorable stuffed plushies that you give out to the first thousand people into the into the stadium. Yeah. So that are little spiked little ice dogs. Yeah, and, and from a completely cynical pr- perspective, that's just good branding, yeah. right? Like but you, you create an emotional connection and bada bing boom, now you're a brand. Exactly. You give out a thousand free little baby plushies and then maybe you get... 200 people to buy expensive jerseys because they're so inspired by the and and like made into a fan because they got a cute little you know a cute little dog yes it's that's that is good marketing yeah and not only is it good marketing you know fulfilling the stated goal of a professional sports team to make some money but it's good practice for creating a unique connection with your community. And I, I think that's the beauty of sports as entertainment. Um, the unique thing it brings to the table is that connection. And the fact that it's a connection that gets spread out across the country um, in, in every major city, you know, in every metropolitan area, we gotta have our major sports teams. And I, I just think that's kind of beautiful, actually. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I, I just... I have a um, something that I'm gonna do that I've never done on this show before. Huh? I'm gonna assign um, homework. Uh oh. <laughs> I'm a busy guy. Um, I'm gonna assign homework not just to you, uh, buddy, but I think you should see this. But to anybody listening, if you can get a hold of it, I don't know where you can find it. I don't know if it's free. I don't know if it's on YouTube. But if you can get a hold of the ESPN um, 30 for 30 documentary film. Uh, called Straight Out of LA. Um, it was it's directed by Ice Cube, and it's a uh, 51 minutes. It's less than an hour uh, documentary about the history of the the relationship between the city of Los Angeles and the football team, the Raiders, from when the Raiders were based in LA and then went to Oakland. And but like, why in LA? Why so many people in LA held on to the identity of the Raiders, even though, even after they left, wow. and it has a lot to do. It was one of one of my favorite documentaries I've ever watched. It has a lot to do with uh, the relationship between the black community and fashion, and a lot to do with like um, the up and coming hip hop culture and rap culture of the early nineties. Um, West Coast rap, like making a, a scene, and and Ice Cube stepping up with the L.A. Raiders hat, you know, in. in in like very public spaces really like changing the landscape of LA even for a team that wasn't in LA after a certain point even and like you can still see to this day people walking around LA in LA Raiders hats and like why that's so important to people I can't even begin to tell the whole story right now but that's yeah for the first time ever friends find it and watch it it's it's a really important brief but thorough look at like what what a sports team how a sports team can affect an entire city yeah and it's got an extra layer of meaning now that the raiders are leaving oakland yeah for las vegas exactly creating another town that they've been a big part of the Mm -hmm. identity of exactly and leaving it behind uh the Raiders are a really interesting team, and I, I haven't seen this documentary. I must you see it. That sounds have amazing. To. You have to. I, I saw it. It came out in 2010. I saw it in the year, let's see, uh, 2013. 
was when I saw it. And I have not gone a month without thinking about it since. Can't, can't go a month. I tell, I tell everyone to watch it. Uh, I don't know, we had it streaming on something, or on DVD. I think uh, it was my uh, now fiance's roommate had it, I think, on, on like a <laughs> DVD collection. Wow. Because he was the biggest sports fan I've ever met in my whole life. Um, he was the kind of sports fan that was, he was like a stats nerd. He could, any major player for the NBA or the NFL, and often a lot of MLB players, he could name the player, where they went to college, what, you know, what other franchises they played for, um, what their record was the year before, you know, and, and who was thinking of trading them to who. He just, like, knows those wow. things. And I have, I've never been that dedicated to anything before in my entire life. And so when people want to talk about sports as, like, a fandom, he is the example I bring up. Because sports geeks are geeks, too. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's... It's fascinating to, to think that there's a divide between quote unquote regular geeks and, and sports fans when the the same basic thing unites everyone, which is yeah. caring about something so much that you want to know everything about it and holding that information in your head, letting that information live in your head um, and talking about it with other interested parties. It's I mean, that's this what we do with theme parks. It's what we do with Star Wars. It's apparently also what we do about hockey teams. I can't believe it, Alice. And, you know, this is now a Mighty Ducks slash Ice Dogs podcast, which is wild. What a what a quick transition. And so yet weird. here we are. Here we are. Um, I've got one more thing to say before we leave sure. the office. And it's this. So if you can't make a sports team important, just by saying that they are important, as Disney found out. How come they made Disneyland important just by saying it was important? I mean, Disneyland isn't just the name of a theme park. It's the name of a television program designed to sell the idea of a theme park. And it came from a place of self-mythologizing. And it feels like the way Disneyland tells its own story, it was an immediate success that quickly became the gold standard in themed entertainment Mm -hmm. and is now, for lack of a better term, the oldest franchise in the themed entertainment game and has a long and storied history. And it's all because they, Walt Disney himself, went on TV and was like, Disneyland's an important place. It's magical. You're going to love it. (laughs) And everybody believed that. How come I can't go on TV and say the Mighty Ducks are the greatest team to ever play because (laughs) they fight crime with hockey? And people need to buy that. (laughs) Well, I'm going to say, one, you're not Walt Disney. Okay. was a very well-established uh, Alice, we are internationally Southern famous no. and infamous podcasters <laughs> with unlimited oh, right, money. you're right. You're right. I forgot. Um, but we're not Walt Disney. We're not a, a, a very successful businessman. Uh, we haven't created a series of very successful animated films. Um, we haven't... We don't have... You know, obviously, we don't have that. But I guess that's why Disneyland was able to do it. Literally, Walt Disney, a very successful man with a name that had already, you know, wow, 
a name that had made a name for itself, I guess. <laughs> Become synonymous with? <laughs> sure. <laughs> with success and with entertainment and with, um, you know, with child-friendly entertainment, which is not really, not really a thing up until that point. You know, like a lot of time, a lot of ch ch children's entertainment before that. Uh, for centuries was just, I don't know, go play with the stick in the street, I guess. <laughs> um, or, you know, read these, like, two books that have been released for you. But, you know, Disney goes and changes the face of children's entertainment and then says, I swear I will do the same for theme parks. Um, and then I guess when they tried it for, for sports teams, they say, we're going to go do it for sports teams now. By the time the 90s rolled around, people were a little, maybe a little more cynical about it. I guess. Um, a little more like hardened to the idea. I don't know. It just it didn't work the second time. Maybe it's the kind yeah. of thing that only works once. Maybe or or maybe there's something more fundamentally different between sports entertainment and themed entertainment. Oh, so our where, thesis statement from before, where we were saying they're exactly the same thing. Right. Not, maybe they're not exactly maybe, the same. I guess not. Maybe maybe there's something to be said for I am building a special cool place that you can visit that contains experiences that are unlike anything you'll ever see. And saying I am making a team of guys that will try to play a sport good. <laughs> well, yes, you just you just made me think, I guess the difference would be experiential, right? Yeah. You get to experience a theme park and come here and play, or you get to watch other people have fun. And while watching other people have fun and playing a game and like rooting for the team is something that we love to do, obviously, it's different when you get to play. Yeah, and I think part of the fun of sports is engaging with the history the entrenched in the community feeling that you get and like we said that's not something that can just be built in a year it can't be built overnight it comes from success and trials and tribulations and it comes from you know legacy and i think disneyland sprang up at a perfect time for the Walt Disney Company because Walt had a, a legacy already you know just like we were saying and Disneyland was able to I think embrace the legacy of the movie studio but also like redefine the legacy by becoming this experienced place right uh, and that I think yeah points to a fundamental difference it's the difference between an attraction, and an event. Exactly. Uh, and, wow. <laughs> it, took, it took two episodes to get there, Alice, but it sounds like our conversation about the intersection between sports and theme parks has both opened up new avenues of thinking about these two things, but also kind of come to a close. Right. We're done talking about it here on this podcast, um, but the conversation always as always continues on the internet on the internet our favorite place our favorite place in the whole and our world. favorite sports team yes absolutely go webs <laughs> and the so, internet webs is a good name for a sports I know, team i know it's a spider web on the hat oh it's really cool it's really cool that's slick so yeah. if you want to come with us and cheer for the webs you can follow us on twitter at happy places pod 
to what? That's where we tweet about the show, where we tweet about different theme park ideas we have. We've been talking a lot about Splash Mountain recently. Uh, if you want to come talk to us on Twitter about that, at Happy Places Pod is the place to be. But we're also on Twitter separately. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at Alice White THP for those happy places. And I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And you know what, Alice? If people want to support the thing that we are doing, which is making a <laughs> bunch of podcasts, they can do so on our Patreon. Yeah, patreon.com slash those happy places is the place to be if you find yourself with a generous spirit and want to help us make the show. Uh, we've got different tiers, different support tiers with uh, bonus episodes and stickers and uh, Discord roles. We'll talk about Discord in a second. Uh, and watch parties and all sorts of fun things, including the opportunity to get your name read on every single show we do. Which is a lot of shows. It's true. <laughs> yes, Aslam Chowdhury and Charles Gustin, you are at our D ticket level. You are both gentlemen and scholars. We could not do this show without your support. You are uh, amazing people. Pillars of the community, we love you guys so much. Thank you for your support. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, everyone else, uh, come on over and visit us at uh, patreon.com slash those happy places. Alice, I think I'm going to add some music to this episode. Ooh, some music. Tell me more. Uh, all of the music that you heard in this episode was made by Kevin McLeod. Uh, he has a website, incompetech.com, where we can get his music under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution license. So all we have to do at the end of the episode is say thank you to him, Kevin, for making this amazing music and letting us use it. So thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you um, to the California Fee Warmers featuring Phil Alvin for the use of our theme song, which is Golden Gate. Golden Gate, which you can hear ramping up right now. It's an amazing song. You can find this and other great tracks at www.californiafeetwarmers.com. Alice. Yes, buddy. You are my best friend. Oh, you're my best friend. Thank you for making this podcast with me. Absolutely. You're the best. Uh, I love talking about this with you uh, for hours at a time online. Whether it's here on a podcast or on our Discord server with all of our best friends, um, you make this uh, you make this journey fun and and memorable and really really special. I'm happy to have you. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening, and we hope you return to those happy places. <laughs>